This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Milestone performances in cricket and badminton lit up the world of sport in the last week. Welcome to a game of two halves, The Straits Times weekly sports podcast that is out every Tuesday. I'm ST Sports Correspondent Azali Abdulaziz and with me today are my colleagues, Assistant Sports Editor Rohit Brishnath and Sports Reporter Nicole Chia. How are you guys? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Hi, sir. It's good to be here. Right. Rohit, you are the man we go to first. You know, Ben Stokes kept England's Ashes hopes alive with his 135 not out against Australia. Gary Lineker, everyone basically who was in England, it seemed, and on Twitter, was raving over the performance. But for our listeners who are not too acquainted with cricket, just how incredible was his performance? How was his show? I can't remember the last time I heard the words greatest performance ever, greatest innings ever, greatest test match ever. I mean, yeah. it was exciting. But look, England scored 67 as a team in the first innings. And then they had 359 to win in the second innings. And it's like impossible. You know, you think it's never going to happen, <laughs> especially a team. So apparently the last time anybody who scored less than 70 in the first innings won a test match was 131 years ago, right? And I don't think T.S. Eliot, the poet, was even born then. So that's a long time ago. So, you know, you think it's not going to happen. And then they were, I think, 21 for two or something like that. And eventually they had 73 runs, I think, to get on the last wicket and it was not going to happen. It's just not possible, you think. Actually, to be honest... I went to bed, Mm. you know, and I said, just not going to happen. And then just before getting to bed, I looked at the score again and they were still going. So I went out and watched. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to do with great athletes. You have to watch because you just don't know. And so what Ben Stokes did, I mean, 135 runs, the way he scored them very slowly in the beginning, very fast in the end. It's just one of those once in a lifetime things, you know, which happen in sport now and then. Every time you think I've seen the greatest thing, somebody else comes and does something else. Where where does this rank for you in terms of great performances by an athlete or team that you've seen? Because we've seen a number of these over the years in football. I mean, Liverpool alone account for at least three or four incredible comebacks. So, you know, where would this rank and, you know, what are some of the ones that really stick out? in your memory so one of the things that I'm actually writing that in my column uh, is that I'm grateful to these athletes even though they mess with my head because you know we make lists in our head you know the top 10 greatest performances we've ever seen greatest comebacks we've ever seen and then an athlete will just come and do something incredible you know Djokovic you know is down match points to Federer and you think the match is over somehow he wins it you know even though he's not playing the best tennis on that day you know Same thing with Liverpool against Barcelona. So my list is like a jumble in my head. I don't know what to put where, you know, but this one, it's going to be, see, it's recency. Whatever is the most recent thing is the one one that stays right. That's the word I use. I feel really grateful because, you know, sometimes the world is full of nonsense and these (laughs) athletes just do these beautiful, pure, lovely things, you know, which just lift you and you just feel wonderful for that moment, you know. It has nothing to do with passport. You don't have to have anything to do with any of the countries Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether you are linked to this athlete in any way when somebody does something magnificent we are all lifted by it when you brought up this topic earlier when we were discussing before the podcast about moments and individuals and teams and then right now you're mentioning you know great athletes you just can't take your eyes off them i know for me one moment that stands out in my head and i'm a bit embarrassed to say is actually a master's game way back in 2012 it was a quadrangular Masters football tournament where, you know, Liverpool, Manchester United, I forgot what the third team was. I think it was Chelsea. And then a, a Singapore team, you know, with Fundy and Sundram. And I'm sure you know by now, you know, this love affair Singapore has with you know, nostalgia and the 1994 team and stuff like that. I was only seven then, you know, but even then I sort of like, oh, you know, these guys captured the imaginations of a nation. And for how many years was that? So 2012, 1994, almost 20 years. 
it sort of got locked away at the back of my mind. But then when when you see these guys, I don't know how they did it, but Fandi and Sundram just sort of turned the entire indoor stadium on site with them, you know, and one end of the stadium was actually dressed out in Liverpool jerseys. Another end of the indoor stadium was in Man United jerseys. They called it the Stratford end and what have you. But honestly, by the time it was the final, which, you know, the Singapore team reached the final, everyone was cheering for the Singapore team. You know, Fandi scored incredible goals. Sundram did this ridiculous back heel flick thing which made the ball speed. It's like a magic trick. Being there, just living in the moment, and I don't know why, 2012, maybe phones weren't really, and capturing videos weren't really a thing. The whole crowd, I think it was just such a magical moment. And we've covered so many great tournaments and great teams and great individuals and great sports over the years. But for me, you know, one low-key, well, not exactly low-key, but one otherwise nondescript Masters tournament 2012, that sticks out in my memory. I mean, Nick, what for you is a performance by a team or individual that really stands out for you? Yeah, it's something a bit more recent. It's actually Coco Gauff's fourth round run at Wimbledon this year. So I think what blew me away is not just what happened during the match, but also what happened after, what she did after. So during the match, I remember in the second set, she had three match points Mm -hmm. and Venus saved all three of those with three winners. And then she was facing break point and she saved it with an ace. Like she's 15, she's the youngest playing against her idol (laughs) and she saved it with an ace and she, of course, won the next two points to win the match. And then she won her next two matches. And in her third round match, she even saved two match points and came back to win it. So for me, I mean, I was blown away because you just came back from... I mean, you just finished beating your idol in what could be the biggest match of your life at the time. And yeah, oh no. <laughs> in fact, some people just sort of beat their idols and that's their career, you know. Yeah, but, but she backed it up. And so many players, you know, when they beat stars, they get caught up in the adrenaline, in the pressure, in the media frenzy and they just flop the next match. But she didn't. I like comebacks, you know. I think I like this cricket thing because eventually, for me, the best sport is comebacks because people have no chance. There's no hope, you know. You're just on the precipice. You And in cricket, it's interesting in a different way because it's long. It's through a day. There's so many chances for error, you know. It goes on. The smallest error and you can be out and it's over. You know, in tennis, you can make a few mistakes. You can still come back and break the guy, you know. So, But this Ben Stokes could not afford an error over a long day. So the level of concentration required for that is extraordinary. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series, A Game of Two Halves, on Apple or Google Podcasts or even on Spotify. Do like it and give us a rating. Now, back to our podcast with Rohit and Nicole. Lo Kian Yu and Yo Jamin did very well for Singapore at the World Badminton Championships last week. Kian Yu was the first male shuttler to reach the last 16 since 2011, and Jamin, who reached all the way to the quarterfinals, when where no local female had gone before. Nick, you covered a few of Jamin's games, I think. What do you think their runs were a result of? For both of them, I think if you had to sum it up in one sentence, it's just a product of their hard work. But for Jiamin, you know, she told me that national singles head coach Mulyo Handoyo's program was good for her all-round improvement. But where she has really improved in the last year is her footwork and mental strength. So I think you could sort of tell from her matches, especially after beating world number one Yamaguchi, it's similar to what Coco Gauff did at Wimbledon. She backed that up with more wins. And that to me is what was impressive and also shows how far she has come mentally. Yeah, exactly. It was like she scored that upset win and then she backed it up. And then, you know, suddenly she showed that she wasn't a fluke. Which, was there a moment, you know, in her run or, or even in Ken Yu's run, which you were particularly impressed by? I was actually impressed by Ken Yu's loss to Chow Tian Chen in the last 16. You know, he went out really fast in the first game and I thought, that doesn't look good. But he came back in the second game to win it. And in the third game, he was putting up such a brilliant fight. 
And I guess that's where the difference is between, you know, world number two and where Can You is currently now. But I think that's something that can be fixed with experience and more match play. You mentioned experience. They're still young. Can You is 22, Jamin is 20. You know, how should the Badminton National Sports Association in Singapore nurture them over the next five to ten years, do you feel? I think more playing and competing opportunities against some of the world's best, which the association is already taking steps to give to them, you know, like sparring partners. Tommy Sugiato is coming to spar with them. And this is one thing that swimming head coach Stefan Whitmer always says, you can't replicate that competition atmosphere in training. You have to be there. You have to Mm. feel what it's like to be in that environment with so many people cheering and making noise, maybe not even supporting you. You have to be there and experience what that's like before you can adapt to it. Mm. And I think that's something that the two Shuttlers, Kianyu and Jiamin are working towards as well. Yeah, I think it's really important to play often because you need to take care of the intimidation factor. I think, you know, when you play players, very rarely you look at them at these big names that you're playing and, you know, you have, there's this awe that is there and that obviously comes in the way of your winning because, you know, there's an unnecessary hurdle that's put in front of you and I and I know this because an old Indian player, in fact, Gopichand, who is the coach of Sindhu, who won the title, he once told me in the old days, you know, because they didn't get a chance to travel a lot, they held these guys in too much esteem. But the mm. more they started playing, the more you realize they're human, the more you have a chance to beat them, the more you learn. So I think that's incredibly important for them. But like what you mentioned, Rohit, it's quite incredible that these two young shuttlers have that mental ability to sort of just put themselves out there and, and challenge the best. You know, we mentioned how Jiamin beat the top seed. Can you obviously famously beat Lin Dan recently? What do you think this is a result of? Is it just, you know, obviously they don't train with Lindan. Can you doesn't train with Lindan that often <laughs> or ever? <laughs> you know, so how, how do you think he's developed this mindset to be able to compete against I the I think best? definitely their stints in Denmark helped. So they were on short-term professional stints in Denmark some time back. And Can you said he actually got advice from Victor Axelsen on how to deal with such big match situations. Yeah. And I think that's something like what Rohit said, you know, you play against these big players, you hold them in such high esteem. I think that's something that the two of them are only going to get better. At because Rachanok is Xiamin's favourite badminton player and Rachanok beat her at the German Open earlier this year. So at this time round, you know, Xiamin herself admitted that Rachanok was just too good. She was moving so fast and Xiamin's own short quality wasn't as good as what she felt it could have been. So maybe I think just more match play, more playing against these top players and she'll get used to it. So I think also when you play against these top players, you find out what you're lacking. What's the distance between you and them? As she said, she talked about the speed. Uh, Rajarong is much faster, you know, and they may have greater variety and they may have greater power. So you know what you lack and then you go back and you work on that. But another reason why they need to travel more basically is you need to keep the momentum. When you've done well at one event, you want to take that confidence quickly into another event, build on it or whatever. Sport is cruel. You do well in one event. Nobody cares after a while because then they want to know what you do with the next event. So you want to make sure you make use of your good wins by building on them. And on that note, there's a final whistle bringing to a close a game of two halves. Thanks, Rohit and Nick. Thanks. Bye. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times and The Business Times online.